Um, today's message is a complicated message, and it's not because it's deep. I'm not capable of deep. It's complicated because life is complicated, and you will need to listen. I don't know if you've ever heard a minister say this or not. You'll have to be careful about the way you listen to me today. You will need to listen with a filter because life is so complicated, and the moment you mention something like difficult people, well, that can mean different things to different people, and, and the truth of the matter is all of us are a little bit difficult, wouldn't you agree? I mean, and, and because who's perfect? So there's no one perfect. And, and so everything I'm going to say today is in general terms. So I'm going to ask you to do something right now. I'm going to ask you to pray, to pray maybe the strangest prayer you've ever heard a minister ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray that God will give you wisdom to know when to shut me down and when to listen to me. Because I want you to pray that God will help, you know, because here's the thing, I'm going to throw some pitches, and you need to know which ones to foul off and which ones to swing at. And so I'm going to ask you to pray to say, God, would you help me today to know whether what Mark is saying from Scripture and from the story really applies to my circumstance and situation. So just take a second, if you will, right now and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, you be the real preacher today. Because, guys, let me just tell you this. I, I know, I'm well cognizant of the fact that four services a week, people don't drive from all over the state to listen to my thinking. You come to hear a word from God, and you need to hear that today in this. And I, I just got to tell you something. Please, just let me tell you something personal. I just had this overwhelming sense, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a hyper-spiritual person. I always get nervous when people tell me God tells them something, you know. But I will tell you this. I really had a strong sense that God impressed me to really tell you parents to listen, not just for yourselves, but to teach this stuff to your kids. So parents, especially today, I just feel like I have a, a word from God to tell you, don't zone out during this time. Because you need this. Our world is a difficult world. There are a lot of difficult people. And your kids are going to need to know who to date, who to have as friends, and eventually who to marry. And this is really, really important. So I just share that with you. This is a really important time for you to ask God, God, would you teach me what you want to teach me? Now, a series is friends. But let's be honest. Just, just for a moment, let's have a moment of honesty. Isn't it true that there are people in your life that you just don't know what to do with? Is that a fact? I mean, there are people in your life you just think, I don't know what to do with this person. I mean, maybe you want them to be in your inner circle. Maybe they want to be in your inner circle. But whatever, life has just brought you into close proximity. And here is a person with you that is close to you, and yet you really don't know what to do with this person. You have a difficult time being friends because they are difficult people. Now, last week, I brought you a message called Befriend, and it was on the story of the Good Samaritan. And I made the point, and by the way, I told my inner circle, my, my team here at the church, I said, I wish so much, for balance sake, I could have brought last week's message, sent you out to get a cup of coffee and say, come back in and preach this message. Because last week, I talked to you about the Good Samaritan, and I said, just like the Good Samaritan encountered, there are going to be people in your life that are going to be stripped, wounded, beaten, and abandoned. They're going to be in your road, on your side of the road. And I just said, as God followers, we ought to assume that if somebody's like that lying in our road, that God means for us to stop and do something about them. But some of you here last week could have had a problem with that message because you could have said, Mark, there's somebody that's stripped, abandoned, wounded on my side of the road, and I want to help them, and I just invest, and I invest, and I invest, and I invest, and they don't get it, and they don't appreciate it, and they don't change. What do I do with that person? Well, today I want to talk to you about the fact that the Bible is a book of extraordinary balance. I always get nervous when people cherry-pick scriptures out of the Bible, you know, we're, we're, we're so literate in so many areas. We're so technologically illiterate. We're literate in entertainment. But sometimes it scares me how biblically illiterate even Christians are. 
And, and they'll like pick a verse from over here and pick a verse from over here and build their lives. Now, the Bible's a very balanced book, and, and you can't cherry pick. And I know this is the oldest story in the world. For all of you who grew up in church like me, I know this is an old story. But, so just please have pity on me as I tell you this. But there was a story about a guy who wanted to know what God's will for his life was. And he had the idea that he could just blindly open up the Bible, you know, randomly open it up, put his finger down on the verse, and whatever that verse was, it was God speaking to him. So he did that one day. He wanted to know what to do. He was going through a difficult time. Opened up his Bible, put his finger down. It says Judas went out and hanged himself. <laughs> so he thought, well, I'll just try it one more time. And he closed his Bible, opened it back up, put his finger down, said, whatsoever thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> and then he opened it up again and said, go thou and do likewise. Now, obviously that's ridiculous. And, and we have to be careful even with something like the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, a lot of times people say there are contradictions in the Bible. Really, it's just they're not, they're, not, they're not doing sound study. Let me give you some examples of things that people could look at and say these are contradictions. It's just balance. Proverbs 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you'll be like him yourself. So, in other words, when a fool is spouting off his foolishness, this verse says, look, don't try to answer him, you know, or you'll be like him yourself. But one verse later it says, answer a fool according to his folly or he'll be wise in his own eyes. And that's not a contradiction. That's the same writer in the same paragraph. On one hand, God says, don't answer a fool when he's spouting foolishness, or you might just get pulled into it. The next verse says, answer a fool according to his, when he's spouting foolishness, or else you think he's, he'll think he's smart. Is it a contradiction? No, just balance. Not all fools are alike. And you have to know. Sometimes there's a fool that it won't make any difference. He just, you know, he's a fool. He won't listen to anything. And the Bible is basically saying don't mess with him. On the other hand, there are fools who will listen. So you want to invest in them. God is just giving us balance. Now let me give you another one of these in the scriptures that gets real close to what our topic is about today. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So in other words, you know, we all have burdens, and the Bible is saying carry each other's burdens. But... Three verses later, it says, for each one should carry his own load. So what's the message? Should, should, should we carry each other's load, or do we all carry our own load? Well, it's very obvious. If you have a load that you can carry, you should carry your load. In other words, I shouldn't carry your load if you can carry your load. You should not carry my load if I, if I have the ability to carry my load. But if I have a load bigger than I can carry, then you step in and you help me. All I'm trying to say is the Bible is a book of great balance, and we need to get that balance. Now, the same person who told the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus, who said when somebody's wounded, stripped, broken on your side of the road, you stop and help, also said this, don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Now, of course, Jesus is not talking about actual pearls and actual pigs, because who would do that? Pearls are very expensive. Some of you ladies have some real pearls, and you know they're very expensive. And so clearly, you would not go out to the barnyard, find an old sow or a pig or even a wild hog, and you would not throw your pearls on the sand or on the ground in front of a pig. So Jesus is not talking about real pearls. He's not talking about real pigs. When he's talking about pigs, he's talking about certain people. And it's not an insult. He's trying to tell us something about the nature of these people. Now, what's he talking about when he's talking about pearls? Now, think for a moment about pearls, string of pearls, real pearls. Number one, 
They're very valuable. If you've ever bought real pearls, some of you guys, if you've ever bought real pearls for your wife or your girlfriend, you know how valuable real pearls are. Real pearls are valuable. And you know what? Every pearl is an individual. Every pearl is, is no two pearls are alike. So in that regard, pearls would be irreplaceable. And then on top of that, think about the way that pearls are formed. Pearls aren't, man not real pearls. Pearls aren't manufactured. Pearls, pearls are crafted through great difficulty. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. That's the reason he chose pearls. He is saying, look, you've got stuff in your life that's irreplaceable. There's stuff in your life that's very valuable. There's stuff in your life that you achieve through great difficulty. Don't take those things and invest them in a pig. Now, think with me for a moment. What did he mean by pig? I don't think he's trying to insult people necessarily. A pig doesn't know about the value of a pearl. A pig doesn't understand or have any care for the fact that pearls are irreplaceable. A pig has no concern that that pearl was achieved through great suffering. It means nothing to him. So what happens if you throw your pearls in front of a pig? A pig won't appreciate it. He'll trample it and then, you know, turn around and charge you. And Jesus is just saying, you've got stuff in your life that's valuable, irreplaceable, and achieved through great difficulty, and you don't invest it in somebody who won't appreciate it and then turn around and blame you for everything that's wrong in his life. You say, Mark, I just don't think it's right to judge. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure Jesus is right here. I'm calling people pigs. Now, some of you, are, on the other hand, your people are coming to mind when we, when we talk about this. You're thinking about your first husband. You're saying, yeah, I know about what Jesus is talking about here. But it gave me, gave me the service, you know, postmodern. I just don't think we should judge anybody. Well, I agree with you. I mean, and, and after all, Jesus is not saying shoot the pig. <laughs> He's just saying you got pearls. There are pigs. Know the pearls. Know the pigs. Don't let them get together. Who's here today? And you built a business from the ground up. And it's valuable to you. Man, it isn't just a job. It's your business. You birthed it from the ground up. You came up with it. You poured your money into I mean, your money built the company. Your business plan was survival. And you built this company from the ground up. Your blood is there. Your sweat is there. Your tears are in this business. It's a pearl. It's valuable. It's irreplaceable. And it was achieved through great difficulty. And you appreciate it so much. And you appreciate the people that work for you and help you build it up. But all of a sudden, you, you, you run into somebody in your life, and maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a friend, and, he, and this person is one of those people that nobody ever gives me a chance. Nobody ever gives me opportunity. Nobody will hire me. You ever met anybody like that? Yeah, especially, I, I have, and, and, and honestly, I'm a sucker for a sob story, and especially that one. I mean, people, nobody ever gives me opportunity. Hey, man, make your opportunity. There's opportunity out there. Go find it. But you didn't do that because, you know, you're thinking, oh, and this person's stripped, broken, in my path, on my side of the road. Nobody ever gives me an opportunity. So you give that person a job in your business that's a pearl that you birthed from the ground up that is valuable, it's irreplaceable, and achieved through great difficulty. And you gave that person a job, and you said, I'll give him opportunity. But the next thing you know, that person doesn't appreciate that opportunity, doesn't show up on time, doesn't do a good job, and you discover that behind your back, he's ripping you to the other employees for the unfair boss that you are. Can I get a witness on that? 
There's a woman here, and your sexuality is very important to you. You just sleep around. You give your sexuality to somebody. You've given yourself. That's how you feel. It's very important. Let me just tell you something. If you've got, if you've got sexual virtue in the culture that you and I live in, that's valuable. It's irreplaceable. And I assure you it was achieved in great difficulty in 2012. Your sexuality is important to you. But along came a guy who made you feel like the most important woman in the world. And you gave yourself to him sexually. You gave him your pearl. You gave him what was valuable. You gave him what was irreplaceable. You gave him what was achieved through great difficulty. But he didn't appreciate that because the next night he's out sleeping with some other girl. And now he's destroying your life. Man, Jesus is not trying to insult here. He's just saying, you got pearls. There are pigs out there. Know your pearls. Know the pigs. Keep them separate. Well, this is a good time for me to point out that there are two kinds of difficult people. And these aren't clinical terms, but we know these terms, and so we'll use them. First of all, there are passive difficult people. And the interesting thing about difficult people who are passive is they don't seem to be difficult people because they always tell us what we want to hear. And they seem to be on our side. You know, they seem to have our back. But here's the thing about a passive difficult person. And if there's anybody like this in your life, here's what you will notice. Whenever you hang with them, your trajectory is down. That's just the case. Your trajectory is always down. You wind up hanging with people that you, you wouldn't hang with on any other basis. Or you wind up doing things that you would never think about doing in any other situation. And this person is very friendly, very kind, very, you know, telling you the most wonderful person in the world. But you just notice that when you're around them, your trajectory is down. Or maybe it's a different kind of down. Maybe every time you're around her, you, you, you think, well, I'm a really pretty happy person. But every time I'm around her, I just am always so sad. Or it could be, and, 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 and here's the thing. I've noticed about being around some of these passive, difficult people. I am the most positive person in the world. I mean, really. I mean, just talk to anybody who's around me. I am a very positive person. I almost have nothing negative to say about anybody. But I've been around some people like this, and it's a funny thing. The next thing I know, I'm critical of everybody. I'm unhappy with my job. I'm unhappy with my marriage. I'm unhappy with the friends I've got. I'm unhappy with everything. There's a funny thing about being around this kind of critical person is that when you're around them, they make you critical. I mean, you walk in and thought I was having a really good day, and now you think, oh, what a victim I am. And when, if you've got any of these diff passive, difficult people in your life, whenever you ask yourself why you hang with them, or like other people who love you who have already asked you why you hang with them, you say, well, she's my friend. She needs me. You know, because she just says to me, if it weren't for you, I, I wouldn't have any friends at all. You know, if, if you didn't date me, nobody would date me. I mean, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have anybody. And then they just make you feel so important and so valuable in, in your life. And so you just say, well, the reason why I'm her friend and the reason why I date him, the reason why I date her is, you know, that person needs me and I'm there for them and I'm helping them. Yet the irony is they never seem to get help and your trajectory is down. The other kind of difficult person is the aggressive difficult person. And I won't spend any time defining that because our message will in a few moments. But that's the person who deliberately harasses and makes your life difficult. 
one thing in common, whether we're talking about the passive difficult person or the aggressive difficult person, here's the thing. Please, 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 please. They both threaten your future. See, that's what's at stake here. What's at stake here is your future. And difficult people will always threaten your future. Here is the thing. I can say this to you and you can say this to me. If I can meet your inner circle, I can tell you where you're headed. Honestly. That's all I need. If I can meet your inner circle, all I need to do is to meet the people who are close to you, and I can tell you where you're going. If you met the people who were close to me, you could tell me where I'm going. There is no, there is no indicator of your future like the people you hang with who are in your inner circle. It is your greatest implicator of your destiny. And by the way, that's not a Mark thing. Proverbs 13 says, become wise by walking with the wise, hang out with fools, and watch your life fall to pieces. Well, the Bible has guidance for us. And week in and week out, if you're here at New Spring, you hear me go back to the Bible, and I'll talk about Abraham and Moses. And you can wonder, why, why does Mark always take us back to these old stories in the Bible? And the reason for that is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10. These things happen to them for an example. In other words, the stuff that happened to people in the Bible saw an example. And they were written for our instruction. So I, I take you back to the stories in the Bible because out of that, they're, 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 I had a good friend this week. He's just a really, really kind person. He said to me, so when the rest of us read the Bible, it's like a storybook. He said, when you, when you explain the Bible, it's like a pop-up storybook. <laughs> and I, I appreciate that. But the reason why is when I look at the Bible, I think those people are just like me. I don't th- you know, many of us grew up in a tradition where, you know, you have these pictures of the saints and they look so you know, weird. I'm thinking, no, 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 no. These people are like me. So what I want to do now is I want to take you back to the Bible, and I want to show you a prototypical difficult person, and we're going to learn some extraordinary stuff. Now, if you were here week one, we talked about David and his friend Jonathan. I want to take you back to that very same time period. And David now, as you know, has killed Goliath. He is the, new, he is the next king. He's already been anointed by God. God has rejected the current king. The only problem is David has been anointed the next king, but the old king is still on the throne. And the old king is immensely jealous of David and has decided to destroy him. David now has a huge issue on his hands. Because there is a king who wants to kill him, but he is the king of God's people. So he is God's anointed. David would like to stay alive, but the problem is if he fights against Israel, he would be fighting against his own nation. So David takes about 600 men who have come to him, and they become sort of a private police force or private militia. And they're trying to, they're trying to walk this balancing act. They're in between the time that Saul has decided to kill David, and David is anointed the new king. And during this time, it's going to be a matter of balancing keeping food in their stomachs, and as the old BG song says, staying alive. So they're out, and, they're, and what they're going to do is they're just going to try to find jobs for a militia. Now you should know that Israel, this is more than you want to know, but Israel in those days was not a clearly defined nation. It was a fairly young nation. And they didn't have clear boundaries, and they didn't have security, especially in outlying areas. And you realize that if a person was wealthy during Bible days, they were wealthy in cattle. You know, you didn't get wealthy in banking. You didn't get wealthy in, you know, in oil exploration back then. So if you, the only way, only way to get really wealthy was in cattle. Well, the only way to get very, very wealthy in cattle is you had to have a whole lot of grazing land, and that meant you were in a real outlying, far outlying area. So what David and his men would do is they would find these well-to-do people, and they would watch over their shepherds. Shepherds weren't warriors. 
And so David with his private militia would go out and he would guard these shepherds and take care of them. And, and that was just a customary thing back in the day. And, and what, was, what would happen in that case is that if a, uh, an army guarded shepherds, of course, there, there would be no loss of inventory. And when shearing time came and payday came, then there would be a, the, the, the owner or the rich guy would give a percentage of, his, of, his, of the money he made to this private army. Now David and his men are guarding the sheep of a man named Nabal. Nabal. Now, the thing about Nabal that I find interesting is his name. His name means, well, you know, I wonder when his parents named him. In, in 1 Samuel 25, it says the, the man's name was Nabal. Nabal means fool. What parents would name their kid fool? Now, I don't know if they named him at birth or named him in his teenage years. I'm not sure when they named him. <laughs> but at some point, he became known as fool. Now, back in the 70s, that was a big thing. You know, fool, that was a joke. You, you call it, hey, fool. Well, I mean, that's what his parents did. They called Nabal fool. His wife's name was Abigail. That means joymaker. Listen, would you please help me? If you, I, I will be here briefly after the service. If you want to explain something to me for 35 years of pastoring, 36 years now, I've always, I've not understood how does fool get married to Joymaker? Would somebody please explain that to me? And in that case, I understand it was a, you know, arranged marriage. Well, anyway, the woman was intelligent and good looking. The man was brutish and mean. Okay, do we know who we're dealing with now? He was a difficult person. Now, wait a minute, please, please, because we live in this age where you don't judge anybody, you don't put a handle on anybody. Wait a minute. Abigail didn't make Nabal a fool. David did not make Nabal a fool. Nabal did that all by himself. He was a fool. He was a self-made man. In fact, Abigail will later say in verse 25 of chapter 25, he's a fool just like his name suggests. I mean, when beautiful calls you a fool and says you're a fool, you're a fool. Well, he was an angry, hateful man. And sometimes there are going to be people like that in your life. You're going to have some Nabals. They're angry and hateful, or it could be that they're a perpetual victim, sympathy sponge. Or it could be that they're deceptive. You try to help them, and they tell you, oh, yeah, I've got it now, I've got it. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stay off the drugs. I'm going to stay off the drugs. I'm not going to go drinking. You know, I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm going to show up on time. And the problem is they're lying right to your face. That's a Nabal. Now, oh, here's something else, too. And I, I'm out, I've got 10 minutes to finish this message. But there's a question I've always wondered about through the years. And maybe you've wondered, why are difficult people so good at being difficult? They're really good at it. I mean, if you've ever dealt with one of these perpetual victims, here's the weird thing about it. They can destroy all kinds of people's lives. They are the perpetrator with a capital P. And yet somehow in the story, they always manage to be the victim. You ever know anybody like that? I mean, they create havoc for people. And yet somehow... They're the wounded party. You know why they're good at it? Because while you were busy getting ahead, going to school, making a living, making real friends, they've spent their whole life being a difficult person. They're very experienced at it. Well, back to the story. David asked, and this is an interesting thing. David could have demanded a percentage. This is shearing time now. David, I mean, after all, what's Nabal going to do? David's got 600 men. They're armed guys. Nabal doesn't have an army. David could have basically gone in and demanded it. He could have demanded a percentage. He could have demanded, you know, a flat fee. But instead, all David asks for is just a meal. 
David asked for the reason. Well, now I want to talk to everybody here for a moment, and I really want to talk to my Abigails, whether you're male or female, for a moment. Because it's strange to me how the Abigails can find Nabals and vice versa. I want to talk to you for a moment. Please, would you please listen to me? When you invest in a relationship, if it's a healthy relationship, you have a right to expect the reasonable. You listening to me today? If you're in a healthy relationship and you've invested in that relationship, you have a right to expect the reasonable. Now, David is expecting the reasonable. In 1 Samuel 25, he sends men to Nabal. And notice how they approach Nabal. Look at this. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I'm told that it's sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them. Nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men. They'll tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David is not asking for the best. He's just saying, do you guys have any leftovers? I mean, it's a time of celebration. You should give me a percentage of what you just collected. But I'm not asking for that. My men are hungry. Would you just give us any leftovers that you have? Well, you want to hear how Nabal responds to David? Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young man. Who does the son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. That was a reference to Saul. Should I? I, Difficult people, whether they're passive or aggressive, are always about one thing, me, me, me. It's about me. Listen to this. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? I mean, here's the thing. Nabal just didn't say, sorry, David, I'm not going to help you. I mean, it was basically insulting David in every imaginable way. Now, here's where we're going to get really serious. This has all been introduction up to right now. This is the message. Isn't that scary? (laughs) (laughs) The day will come in your life when a Nabal will do what Nabals do. They will insult you. They'll come around for their sympathy fix. They'll lure you into harmful habits and to hang with painful people. Work with me, please. Work with me. At this moment, what is the biggest threat that Nabal poses to David? Can he hurt David? No, David's got 600 men. What's the biggest threat a difficult person can do to David? What is the biggest threat that a difficult person can do to you, can bring to you? It is simply this. The biggest threat that Nabal poses to David is what Nabal can get David to do to himself. See, David now is going to react to Nabal. David's going to blow up. We're going to read it in a moment. David's going to go over there and open up a can. I mean, he is going to go kill everybody. Now, some of us know what that's like because the thing of it is, we've got difficult people in our lives. They can't really harm us, but... They get us back on drugs, or they get us to rack up debt, or they flush our, I mean, we cause us to flush our self-esteem down the toilet. Ladies, just because a guy says something hard to you or, or a woman says something harsh to you, it doesn't mean that you have to flush your self-esteem down the toilet. I want you to look at David down. Watch him react. 
Now listen to this. Just feel the emotion. Because after all, David has not only been told no for the reason, well, David's been insulted. A lot of good it did, he said, to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he's repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man, in some translations, say male. So David may not have been real cautious about the age limit here for who he was going to kill. May God strike me and kill me if even one male of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. I've got five minutes. Fortunately, Nabal's men know who to go to. Nabal's men go to Abigail. Abigail is used to damage control. If I have an Abigail here married to a Nabal, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know all about damage control. And so all these men, Nabal's men go to Abigail and say, man, we're so sorry to bother you. You didn't see this. But, you know, there, there was an army that took care of us. They were like a wall of protection, and it was a really good man. It's David. You know David. He killed Goliath. You know Abigail. I know David. Well, David and his men, they, they, they took care of us, and, and, and we didn't lose anything. And our master, he was very blessed by these guys, and, and, and they just sent some guys in asking for leftovers. And, and, man, we hate to tell you this, but our master, your husband, just really flipped him off, and we're really concerned that David's a nice guy, but we're afraid he's going to come over here and really take care of business. Now watch a smart woman go to work. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain. And a smart woman, she not only brought meat and bread, she brought dessert, 100 clusters of raisins and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys, but she didn't tell her husband Nabal where she was going. Now, here's the thing, and this is the whole sermon right here. I, I've just set this whole thing up. All the dominoes have been set up now so that I can push them. And because here's the thing. Abigail is going to take David to school. Abigail is going to talk to David. And what she's going to do is she is going to give us a primer. She's going to give us a tutorial about how to deal, three things about how to deal with difficult people. It's genius. It's genius. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. Now, do you think Abigail was really feeling the blame for this? She knows David's a reasonable man. David's not going to blame her. She just wants to calm David down so David will listen to what she's going to say. She's going to give him the first of three powerful tools. I know, she says, Nabal is wicked and an ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. Abigail calmed David down. Because she wanted to say to him, David, he's a fool. You don't have to pay attention to David. See, David thought he did have to pay attention to Nabal. He thought Nabal's insult required that he pay attention so much that he killed every male in the family. What Abigail is saying to David is, David, you are a reasonable man. My husband is an unreasonable man. It is unreasonable for a reasonable man to expect the reasonable from an unreasonable man. It is not reasonable for a reasonable woman to expect the reasonable from an unreasonable woman. Basically, she was saying, David, you're letting Nabal drag you into his world. You don't have to pay. Could, could, we just, could I just give you that grace today? Could I tell you you don't have to pay attention to difficult people? Number two. 
The Lord, she said, will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty for you're fighting the Lord's battles. She's reminding David of who he is, fighting the Lord's battles. And you've not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you're chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch, but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Oh, <laughs> See, Abigail is reminding David of who he is. She said, you're out here fighting the Lord's battles. You don't need to get in here and start mixing it up with Nabal. You're fighting the Lord's battles. She is saying, this is so big. She is saying, David, you don't even kill people who are trying to kill you. Why are you thinking now about killing a bunch of innocent people? She is saying, David, don't let Nabal make you like him. David, you're letting Nabal bring the Nabal out of David. That's what difficult people do. Number one, you don't have to pay attention to difficult people. Number two, don't let them pull you down to their level. Number three, and I love this. This is my favorite. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Abigail was saying to David, forget my husband. He's a fool. He's always been a fool. He'll always be a fool. But not you, David. You're, you're different. You're fighting the Lord's battles. And God has a great destiny for you. Don't let a difficult person rob you of just one piece of your future. Your future is what's at stake here. And if you hang with difficult people, whether they're either passive or they're aggressive, they will rob you of some of your precious future. And Abigail was pleading with David, don't let him steal your destiny. And thankfully, David listens to her, and he, thank, you know, he said, you're, praise the Lord, you've, you've sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Oh, I'm out of time. You want to know what happens at the end of the story? <laughs> it's really cool, I guess, unless you're Nabal. Now, he's been partying all week, and he's drunk out of his mind. It takes him several days to sober up. Finally, when he sobers up, Abigail tells him what she did. And I don't know if he was mad at her, mad at David, just mad at the world. But here's a guy who's lived his life with substance abuse and, and rage issues. And it makes him so mad that he has a stroke. He's paralyzed. And Ten days later, he dies. And somebody goes to tell David. And you know what David does? He asks Abigail to marry him. <laughs> That's a fact. Now, were they in love? I don't know. But here's what David was saying. I need her in my life. You need to know your Nabals, and you need to know your Abigails. You need the Abigails, male or female, in your inner circle. You need those people who will remind you of who you are and that God has a great destiny for you and that you don't want to act out a character because you might compromise a piece of your destiny. You need the Abigails in your life, and you need the Nabals out. I am so over time, and I apologize for that, because I'll put you in a traffic snafu, so let me hurry real fast. I've never understood something, please, and I'm serious now. I've never understood why some Abigails have so many Nabals in their lives. I've, no, I've met people whose parents were Nabals. Friends were Nabals, married Nabals. And some of you could be here today and you just say, Mark, my life has been so scarred by the Nabals in my life. You know, I, I don't think it's any accident that right before this message, we sang a song called Healer. 
And you know, I'll tell you something. There is a friend who will come into your life who can begin to bring healing from the destructiveness of the Nabals. And not only will he bring healing, he'll bring an everlasting relationship with God. He died on a cross. His blood was currency to pay for all your sin and dysfunction so that everything you've ever done wrong could be put off the table and you could have an everlasting relationship with God. I'll tell you something. Jesus is a friend who will never hurt you. He is a friend who will never hurt you. How do you get him into your life? Do you know he's already, the Bible says he's knocking at the door. And he says if anybody will open the door, he'll come in. I mean, here's the thing. He already wants to come into your life. You don't have to talk him into it. If you're willing to ask him in, he'll come in. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And you, don't, you say, well, Mark, there's so much I don't understand. Well, there's even things I don't understand. But I do know this. He'll, he, he responds to a please come in. And I'm going to pray a prayer that that's what that is. And if you're here today and you're saying, Mark, I need Jesus in my life, not religion, I need Jesus, then I'm going to pray a prayer with you. And these aren't magic words, but if you mean them from your heart, the Lord will hear your prayer. You ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you died for me. I believe your blood paid for my sin. I ask you to come in, forgive me, and cleanse me, and make me your child, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know that happened so fast. You can say, Mark, I'm not even sure what happened to me. Hey, I have something I'd like to give you. All you need to do is take your talk to his card. Just check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ, or I have questions about receiving Christ. And here's a gift I want to give you. There's a little booklet that answers a lot of questions that I wrote, and then um, also a DVD and a coupon for a new Bible. So if you just pray with me to receive Christ, I know we're crowded. I know it's overtime. But please go out to guest services out here. There's a little one back by the coffee shop. And nobody will stalk you or hassle you. Just I pray with Mark. That's all you need to say. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Next week, we close out the series with a talk called In. See you soon. Jake. <laughs>